So uh, thank you for that willingness and that work that you guys do on your part, because I think we all have a part. Hey, look, Christianity is an active thing. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And so we work to practice and to participate in relationship. If your marriage is just seen as a piece of paper and there's no relationship there, there's no intent there, there's no common work ethic on the relationship, then you're probably not going to stay married. Now, how does that apply to Christianity? You've got to work at this. You've got to apply it. You've got to be active in it. It's, 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 it's as simple as that, yet it's, that's real complicated, isn't it? Somebody that's married, say amen. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying it's hard to live with Debbie, but I did finally say something at lunch today that I, I was just want to get off my chest. I'm not going to look up while I talk about this. <laughs> Debbie has a tendency to help you decide what you want. <clears throat> and that's okay. I'm fine with that. I've lived with it for a long time. And I just, it's like water off duck's back. Now just, just beads off. But her sisters were along, and we'd been, we went to eat with them together. And before it was over with, Debbie had decided what everyone on the table was going to eat. Not me. Yeah, not me. Let's clear that up. And so when the little lady walked up, the girl walked up, she said, have y'all decided yet? I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Hold on, guys. Yes, ma'am. This lady's going to order for all of us. And look, I love that about Debbie. If you need to know what you need, she can tell you. <laughs> You'll just get with her. She can figure it out. I love that about her. Um, she will give you, un, uh, uh, you know, unsolicited information at times. But that's what marriage is about, amen? I mean, God tells me stuff sometimes I don't want to hear. See, I done threw that down on you, didn't I? Y'all thought that was really funny until I included God in that and how he'll get involved and he'll say, hey, you need to do so-and-so, and that's just not comfortable at all, is it? Yeah, that's just not comfortable at all. And you want to go, oh, well, wait a minute now. Well, no, there ain't no wait a minute. I mean, it's God. It's not your wife or your husband. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to preach here in just a second. So I got issues. Y'all know that. Um most of us have issues, and the ones who say, well, I ain't got no issues, you got, that's your issue. Uh, that is your issue, is you think you're something you're not. Um, so tonight I want to address, so I'm, I'm going to talk for a minute about church, okay? So I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about church at large, church in general, church. I, and really, so what I'm going to do is I'm talking about people. So brace yourselves, just ride through this little storm right here on the front side. Everything's anchored down, we're good. So I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit because, look, here's the joy of being retired from one church pastoring and being an interim in another. I got nothing tying me down right now, so I can just lay it out there. Right, Brother Jerry? So don't you love that? Yeah, boy, so here we go. So, so now this isn't really bad. It's just that those who come to our services, they participate and serve an opportunity. We have people serving fall fest, all the different things that go on. There's a tendency we get into to, it, it, it's, I call it a practice of ranking things. 
So we have this practice we get into, and we're, it's because of the influence of culture and the, 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 just the world in which we're all a part of, maybe not embracing totally, but, but we're influenced by it nonetheless. And so we, we get influenced by, by the thought processes of this world. And so there's a tendency for us to begin to think in terms of ranking those things delivered, performed, like, wow, it was such a powerful message Brother David preached this morning. Gosh, that's the best message ever. Or, uh, Brother David needs work on that one. That guy didn't get a single goosebump. There wasn't a shout. Nothing. Yeah, I get nothing out of the mess. I hope he, I hope he doesn't keep going with that thing. Or, hmm, hmm. I wish somebody else would preach next Sunday. About that all, Brother David, I can stand. So we, we rank things, you know. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, we rank things. We do this. We do this. And y'all don't have to, I mean, and I'm talking at large. None of y'all do anything like this. But anyway, so we get into the practice of ranking things, rating things, thinking about the presentation of things rather than thinking What's God, what does God's word have to say to me, to my life, to my issues today? What do you want to tell me, God? Because that's the key. The key is to wake up every day and wonder in amazement, first, that God is and that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. And second, that I get to be a seeker today. I mean, how awesome is that? I get to chase God today. I mean, I mean, wow. We know, we know that if we let ourselves get caught up in the ranking, the rating, the 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 thing, the 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 the, the, the studying of the presentation and all that stuff, uh, it's a dangerous place in our faith. It's a dangerous place. We can get into a dangerous place in our faith when we allow that to happen because we know the scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know the importance of the word of God, but so often we cannot hear the word of God. We study more the presentation or the, the, the delivery or the, the thought process or whatever. And, and I'm probably tonight's going to be one of my worst messages ever. But it'll be okay. Because it's going to be full of the Word of God. Now, I'm going to do my best to present something to you tonight concerning one of the major issues that I think we all wrestle with. Jesus himself did, by the way. He's my example tonight. So you can get mad and argue, but Jesus had the problem. I mean, not me. I, I, he no, no, I do. But so, so I say all that for you to understand Life change only happens when we put feet to our faith, when we do the work. We have to do the work of faith. We have to be actively involved in faith. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us faith without works is what? It's dead. I mean, you ain't got no faith if you don't have something to show for. That's, that's right. So my job is to allow the word of God to so penetrate my life and the truth of that word and to take it for the whole counsel that it is that it begins to lay out 
a plan for me, a path for me. And when I walk that path, when I put feet to that faith, it changes me. Now, people that don't want that change don't stay on the path. Just don't get involved in it. They just, they just it's, it's too much, uh, too much expectation, too, it's, I mean, we could talk about all the things that it is. Here's my warning to you, okay? Over time, you can come to church, hear the word of God, hear the message, even walk out agreeing with the message, but if you don't put it into action, put in the work, put in the work, the enemy will actually come in and deceive you into thinking God's word doesn't work. It's just, it's just a book. Had an uncle, Uncle Frank. Um, I'll never forget when I got saved and called into ministry and uh, after salvation, I was talking about it. And Uncle Frank and Aunt Mary lived up the drive and to the to the right of our driveway, our driveway crossed through 20 acres into 40 acres. And dad had 40 acres of the land that he grew up on, that he had bought and built a house on when I was in the ninth grade. And uh, so we lived out there. I drove 17 miles into city school because we used our station's address as my home school, as my ad home address. So I know that's illegal, but anyway, uh, it's okay. I, I made it through without getting kicked out. But but Dad did that and set that because he wanted me to stay in the same school system and he wanted to work me in the evenings. Let's just get that out there. And I wanted to work. Y'all, I like money. I mean, come on. Ever since I was 11 years old, I was vacuuming cars out for tips. There was something about when they'd hand me, a, boy, if they gave me something green, I was fired up. I mean, if they, I mean, change is good, but give me some bills. I, I was so excited. So I grew up like that. I grew up thinking if I work hard, I'm going to get something. And so I always did that. And Dad, Dad built out on that 40 acres. And from the ninth grade on, I drove back and forth. And Uncle Frank, I, I literally had taken a course and a path. I mean, I'd been raised in church. And right up until the age I got old enough to drive, I started lying about what I'd be going to church. I've told that story. Me and David, my best friend, would go and stay at his house and get all kinds of things happen on the weekend except go to church. And so i never forget, I was in South Louisiana and in Venice, Louisiana. If anybody knows anything about Louisiana, Highway 1 goes and stops in Venice. And I was working for an oil rental company, a rental tool company down there, going a week on and a week off. And I'll never forget that in that process and this whole you know, process in my life, this whole thing that was going on. I had been raised in church. I had left church, and now I'm down there, and I am get I get saved. I've told that story, and I come home, and I'm. it wasn't two weeks. Uncle Frank shows up at the door and knocks on the door. And Uncle Frank is an elderly man, been in California most of his life with Aunt Mary, and so he comes over to see me. So what? Sit down with him, get talking. And he said, I just want to talk to you. I hear that you've had some kind of experience with God. I said, sure have. You know, so here I am, 19. I'm, I'm ready to get a man. I'm ready to talk to him about it. I, knew, I mean, I didn't know. I, at that point, I didn't know I need to be worried about it, Uncle Frank's soul. 
I mean, I'd been living a very bad life, so I wasn't worried about anybody else's, though, for sure. And so he comes over, he says, well, I just want you to know I've read the Bible from the front to the back five times. And I don't see anything in it that makes me believe God is alive. And my answer to him, I'll never forget looking at him saying, well, I can tell you your problem. I mean, I'm not there. I'm fixing to lay it on him. He looked at me and he said, you, so you think I have a problem? I said, oh, absolutely you have a problem. He said, okay, what's my problem? I said, it's all you've done is read it. See, the word of God is live and active and powerful, sharpening two-edged sword, divides asunder, bone marrow, right down to the core of our being. It separates the spirit. It, 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 it lays us open if we take it for what it is. But look, if you just want to read something, just go read it. It's not going to do much for you. Frank did, Frank did, it didn't do much for him. I challenged him that day, go back and read that Bible. It said this time, go back and say, God, if you're real, reveal something to me. I'd love to say that I led him to the Lord after that. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that, this. In that process of communication through the next few years before I moved out of the state of Mississippi and had gone to college, come back, and then moved to Alabama to the promised land, somebody say amen. Um, but prior to that, I mean, we had a lot of conversations, lengthy conversations. He, he opened up more and more, more and more. He never would really come out and say, I sensed God. But he would say, it, it's something's different. Now, look, I say all that to tell you this. Over time, if we don't put in the work, if we don't apply it, if, we don't, if we're not watchful, if we're not working at it, God, the enemy will deceive us into thinking God's word doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what I mean by work? Well, I, 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 mean, I, I mean that, I, I guess the way I'd say it, it's not the word of God doesn't work. It's, it's that you're not working the word. We have to work the word. We have to apply it. We have to use it. We have to let it become a part of us. The transformation happens in us because the word of God does this work in us. So we have to work that word. We have to apply it. We have to believe it. We have to trust in it. We have to activate it in our life. Let it become, a, let it become an instrument of life in us, dunamis, explosive life in us. So God can't change your life unless you allow his grace to come into action. That's a strong statement, but, I mean, let's face it. We have to allow his grace to come in. We can resist it. It's the main problem most people face in the core of our being down below all of the surface problems root problems surface causes down to the root cause the root of it all is we resist God's grace we just resist his grace we resist him doing for us what he has already done accepting what he has done for us through Christ so if you was writing something down, I'd say write this down. You can't manage what you don't own. If you're writing something down, this is what I'd say write down. If you, if, if you do anything tonight, get this thought. You can't manage what you don't own. Your sin, the bad habits, the issues of your life 
You need God's help with those things. You need God's help with those things. You need his help with them. You can't manage what you don't own. So if you'll own those things, take them to God, things start to change. Transformation will begin to happen. So what we've got to do is we've got to accept the fact that we can't manage this stuff if we don't own it. And so I've got to own areas of my life like selfishness. I've got to own the areas of my life like becoming more like Jesus in a selfless manner. I've got the, and these are the issues we're talking about. I've got to own this issue of trusting God in the face of evil. I've got to own that. I've got to practice something. So I'm going to give you something right quick to help you own it. I'm, I, we'll call it the ABCs of dealing with issues, okay? And there's three statements that are ABC. All right, so the first one is this. And it's a simple one. We, all three of them are simple. First, admit you got issues. Until you're willing to admit you got an issue, you're not going to experience transformation. You're not going to work the word. You're not going to allow God to bring transformation in you. So, so that's the beginning of the healing process of all of us. We have to admit we've got an issue. Second, we got to believe, B, A, B, C, we got to believe God's grace is bigger than our issues. Look, God is able. God is able. God will do in you what you think can't be done. He is that, but you have to allow him to do it. You have to work what he declares. You have to own the things in you, and when you own those things and say, God, I need your help with it, then he begins to pour his word and his life and his transformation into you. And then C, commit to following God's transformational process. I'm telling you, he's got a plan. It's different for all, for, for all of us. All of, all of ours are different. Barry's is different than mine. I'll say as far as Debbie's is different than mine. Transformation, yes, there's a discipleship structure, but when I'm talking transformation, I'm talking be becoming who God wants us to be in this life for this moment. And so that changes in, in ways and in, in, in the the. The, 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 the layout of the plan, the path that he's leading us. So it'll, it'll have little tweaks and changes. What ministers to Debbie may not minister to me on a certain day, and what ministers to me may not minister to Debbie on a certain day, but that's because he's working a transforming work in us. So don't look down when somebody else doesn't get it and you got it, and don't, don't, don't question God whenever they get it and you didn't. I mean, when somebody comes to the altar and their life is being transformed by the power of God's spirit and they're just weeping and praying and you're sitting back there going, I wish I could feel something. I wish this would get over. I got lunch. Don't, don't judge that. Allow God to do in it what he's doing. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> I'll ask this question and we'll get into the message. Have you changed in the last year in the issues of your life? How? How have you changed over the past year, over the last year? Boy, this has been a crazy year, too, by the way. Amen? How have you changed over the last year concerning the issues of your life? How, how, how's God working in them? What are you allowing him to do in you? Because God has a transformational plan and process, but you have to commit yourself to action and to application of that word. You have to commit yourself to do the work, do the work, do the work. I used to tell people, it bothered some folks, but I, I'll say it here and it may bother you. 
more important than a devotional life is a devoted life. So I, I knew I knew a family that this guy, this young guy, he grew up in church. He was a super young guy. He seemed to be on such a perfect path. God was working in him, and he'd wake up every morning. He'd talk about reading the Word. He'd talk about his devotion time. His, yeah, he'd just get up. And I'll never forget, there's an event, a traumatic, life-changing event happened in his life. And it changed the corpus of it. He died, as a matter of fact, he died. I did his funeral at uh, about 40 years old, 35, 36 years of age, overdose. And, uh, And I'll never forget through that time frame up until then, the struggles he had on trying to find God, trying to feel God, trying to trust God in his life. Um, And I'll never forget him talking about, man, I I get up and read my word every day. I'm just not getting anything. I'm just not getting anything. I just struggle so hard. And he's the one who taught me, more important than your devotion is being devoted. Because he was so devoted. He, he worked so hard. He was the kind that had come in stoned into the basement of his grandparents where he was living at that time. And the next morning, get up. And when I would talk with him, he'd tell me about getting his word out, getting the Bible out and reading it, trying to, trying to beat this thing, trying to overcome it. Just so devoted. You got to apply it. You got to be active in it. You got to be participating in it. Come on, let me say this. So here's the issue today. It's going to become real evident whenever I talk over the next three or four minutes. How many of you know the loneliest time of the year? Holidays. Hey, how about you? You're in the holidays. Just in case. I forgot. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I've had to counsel a lot of people through the years, and really and truly, we are entering into the loneliest season for many people that you know. It is so lonely. They feel so lonely. They feel so lonely. And if you struggle with the issue of loneliness, it's amplified times 10 this time of the year. I mean, there's, there's, I literally believe there is a spirit that wars people that attacks them in this season, but that is attached to them many times because of occurrences, events, traumatic stuff. And, and I believe it wars. It, it separates them. It isolates them. It's this spirit that we're talking about. It's literally a, 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 a battle for them. Um, and, of course, pretty obvious our issue focus is loneliness um now i'll say this is a study more for me than a experience i've been very i debbie will tell you this i wake up in a brand new day every day i'm a happy guy uh, now i do worry about if something were to happen to the boys or debbie i do think i would struggle with loneliness i don't struggle with loneliness it's not it's not a battle i've had never had a battle with it i have i have had some battles spiritual battles i've experienced deliverance in some areas 
but I've never had a battle with loneliness per se. I, uh, I don't want to have a battle with it because of what I've seen it do to people and the struggle they have. So if you struggle with this issue and it, it's multiplied this time of the year, some of the thoughts that I wrote down, it could be you know you're not going to get to go home and see family. I think about Hannah, would she struggle with that? I mean, I mean, I know she's going to be busy, but dude, this first Christmas she's been away. So we need to pray for her. Really cover her with prayer. Or it could be you know your family's not com coming home to see you. Um, what little bit it will be, and I, not, I haven't seen this in any of my children. But in any form or shape, but if any one of my children might would struggle with this or had have had a struggle with it, it would be Miles because he was in Daytona for so long down there and there was such a long period there he wouldn't get to come home when he was down there serving that church. And he just went back in August, so I've got, well, also I want to get his furniture out of my storage. Issue was selfish. Um, so I can write all mine down, y'all. I can tag mine. I, I got no problem with it. So, like, I'm going to run down one day, come back the next in the Thanksgiving break right there, probably that Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, and take stuff down to him. I just want to go down there and see him and say, hey, how's it going? And, then, you know, I mean, he doesn't struggle with it because he calls Debbie every day and talks to her. And calls and my boys, they talk, I mean, Lord Jesus, I don't know what all they talk about, but they talk every day. They are boys. Uh, it could be you have 20 people coming in, you're still feel lonely uh, or you could be you have lost someone close to you and you haven't replaced that need for companionship I mean that's tough I can't imagine life without Debbie and I think about people who have lost loved ones it's just it's just we I watched a girl lose a husband and I and then when and they had been separated and divorced for some time she raised her child he died and she continued to stay single until this till february a year ago and i got to do the wedding for her a guy that she had met super guy worked for alabama power uh, works for them and how happy she is now and what's the price she paid to wait for that person and the loneliness that she felt. Debbie and I have seen it. We know it. Or it could be you've, uh, or it could be you've been isolated by the enemy and he's convinced you no one wants, you, wants to be with you or no one wants you around. I mean, see, all these things are real um, and, and all these things are struggles. You, you, and you know you can feel lonely in a crowded room, right? You can feel so alone, packed, we're just people everywhere. Loneliness isn't simply about being alone. Loneliness, and it, from all I understand and have studied, is a feeling of emptiness in your soul. It's something deeper than just being alone. Loneliness is, an, is, is, an, is a soul effect. There's something deep inside of us. There's an emptiness down in us. So I want to give you three points of encouragement tonight. So I'm going right into, the right into that right now. Three things, and they're in Jesus. They're found in him. So I, I'm telling you, I, as I, 
as I prepared this and thought about it, I wanted to make sure that I gave you good solid information about this because it may not be for you, it may be for someone you know. And so it's going to be more teaching. I, I'm, I'm a good teacher a little bit tonight, even though I think I try to do that every time I preach. I, I, I do want to take a little time here and give you some thought, okay? So Jesus, the first thing I'd say is this, Jesus knows how you feel. Say feels. You know, loneliness, that's what it is, feeling. So I'm going to say that again. Loneliness is a feeling, Okay? And I'll prove that to you in a minute because Jesus went through that experience. I mean, we, we understand Jesus personally experienced loneliness on the cross. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm starting here because we can sometimes lie the end and convince us I'm the only one who's ever felt this way. No one could understand this feeling I have. When in reality, dude, there's a lot. Jesus himself understood it. Jesus himself felt it. Hebrews says Jesus felt everything we feel. He overcame every temptation. So we have a high priest in Jesus who has overcome every issue that we experience. He has faced every one of the issues that we could talk about. So that's a good, that's encouragement. Jesus, fully God and fully man, felt every emotion and every issue that you and I ever feel. Feel, 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 feel. But the one thing about him was he never sinned. So I'll give you a quick thought. So many times the things that we commit in sin are born out of our feelings. Though they're born out, though they come from a nature within because we are without God. And we're born into sin. We have a sin nature. We act on those things because of how we feel. It either feels good or we feel bad and we need to do something. Or we have no feelings. <laughs> so we could, we could talk through that. That's not the message. I'm not going to spend time there. But because he never sinned, there was never a break between he and the Father. So that's what I want you to get out of this. Because Jesus never sinned, there was never a break between he and the Father. He and the Father were one. Sin is what separates us from the Father. Amen? Everybody agrees to that. We know that and understand that. So when he had emotions try to take over, when the disciples abandoned him, when, when the teachers of the law attacked him, um, he still didn't feel forsaken. He just still didn't feel isolated or abandoned by the Father because he, he had not sinned. But, Let's put the butt in there. When he was on the cross, he felt capital loneliness, capital letters loneliness, to a depth that no one in this room will ever feel or experience. None of us will ever understand the depth of loneliness that he felt. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be a, the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So he became the offering for our sins. So he literally took our place and, and, and bore on himself the punishment and the price by taking on that sin. That means every sin we have or ever will commit was poured out on Jesus, which means what? God couldn't look on him. God couldn't, God couldn't, just there was a separation. 
So God the Father had to turn his face away from Jesus, his son, and for the first time ever, he experienced a disconnect. When was the first time Jesus ever felt lonely? It was on the cross. Why? Because our sin was placed on him, and God could not look on him. There was a disconnect of it. And here's the thing. Real quick, I, I just need, I need to say this. We interpret this, we interpret that to mean for the 33 years he had been a man. But I want you to think about this. This was, this was, this was the son of God that bore our sorrows. This was, this was, this was, this was one who had been with the Father for how long? Forever, for eternity. I'm telling y'all, my heart breaks thinking about what I'd feel and experience if Debbie and I, if I ever lost Debbie. But it's been just for the life, I mean, part of my lifetime. I can't imagine what it'd be like to have forever end. So when I say Jesus knows how you feel, Jesus knows how you feel. His disconnect was for you and me. Matthew 27 says this in 45 and 46. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land till 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? Those of you who feel lonely, isolated, abandoned, those of you, those who have stabbed you in your back, you, you, you know, you, 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 you feel no one knows what is going on. But I'm telling you, Jesus knows. Jesus knows how you feel. So why did he do that? Why did he give up eternity? Why did he do that? That's number two. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you would never be alone again. Because here's the problem. Too often we equate loneliness with being alone. You with me? We think, we, 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 out of the core of our being, this loneliness surfaces because we are alone. We think we are alone. No one understands. No one cares. No one's here. No one's thought about it. No one's called me. No one. We feel that. Real quick, I'm going to take a minute right here. I want to read John 14, 16 through 31. It's not going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to read it. I held this one. John 14, 16 through 31. This tells us, so, so John 14 tells us this was the intent, not the result of the cross. Okay, so when I say Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that we'd never be alone again, this was the intent. Okay, this was the intent. Jesus died, This was, and he's telling us the intent of this. Okay, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you, he leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and now, he lives with you now, and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. The, and remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Listen, 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 listen to this. The way that you, the way that you overcome loneliness isn't getting in a crowd. I'm going to show you in the third point how you overcome loneliness. But, but it is born out of an understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. What he did on the cross for you, what he did on the cross for me, what he did on the cross for us, and the intent of that was to establish peace of mind and heart in us. It's to give us something that the world doesn't understand or how can't duplicate and the peace i give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid remember what i told you i'm going away but i will come back to you again and if you really love me you will be happy that i'm going to the father who is greater than i am i have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen you will believe I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. <laughs> Man, wouldn't it be awesome to have that faith, to walk in that assurance? I mean, this is huge. This is huge. Listen, he says, when I go to the cross, I'm going to paraphrase this. When I go to the cross, die and die you're going, to be feel, you're going to feel orphaned, abandoned, alone. You're going to feel that. It's going to be scary. But you don't have to feel that way because when I come back from the dead, you're going to come to life too. And the Holy Spirit that you feel right now that's with us when I heal people and deliver people, when I come back to life, he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. <laughs> And you'll never be alone again. Now, you may feel lonely, but you're never going to be alone again. See, because we equate loneliness with being alone. No, no, no. No, no. No, they're different. He's going to be your advocate and teach you all truth. 
You will never be alone again. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you know this. The 40 days Jesus was alive on this earth, after the resurrection, he spent encouraging the disciples, teaching them, getting them set up for him to go back to the Father. So he did all that. And then all of a sudden in Matthew 28, I think we have this one, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach, teach these new disciples. Get this. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, without any question, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll be with you always. You're never alone. You're never alone. It's a promise. You and I have that. You're never alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. So you feel lonely. Put Put that in the place it belongs. Put that in the place it belongs. I feel so lonely put that in the place it belongs it is in a it is it is a part of who you are as a human to rely on and to function out of feelings but you are more you are more than that in christ you have one who was with you but now is in you you're not alone you're not alone. We say amen. I mean, we should all say amen to that, but I'll give you a couple of thoughts on that. We should say amen to it because theologically, theologically and doctrinally, it, it's true. God is with me and in me. He has promised to take care of me, and I believe he is true to his promises. I know this is true. That's how we should function and work. But the reason we don't say amen, maybe, (laughs) is though we know it's true doctrinally and theologically, we just don't. Feel it. I mean, feelings, y'all. I talked to y'all early, the other day about the filters, losing the filters. I think I may be losing mine now a little early, but. Got a ring right there. Let me move back up. I, I hadn't lost that hearing. Uh, but yeah, I talked to y'all about how we lose our filters as we get older. And, you know, a lot of times we don't say stuff now. And as we get older, it's just easy to say. And we all know they're older and they've lost their filters. And we go, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I mean, if they had said it 10 years ago, buddy, it would have been different. It wouldn't have been near as cute as it is. <laughs> so maybe, maybe there's some truth to this about our feelings. Maybe, 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 maybe we should look at this and realize as created beings who have been formed and made with these feelings, it, it, as much of a reality as it is, we shouldn't just accept it. I mean, I'm not saying feelings are bad. I'm just saying if you don't manage your feelings, if you don't own it, if you if you don't ma- you can't you can't manage what you don't own. Own it. So what do we do when we know God's spirit is with us and in us and God's promises are true to us but we still feel 
lonely. That's the third thing I'll talk about, and I'll end. When you feel lonely, do what Jesus did. Get alone with God. When you feel lonely, do what Jesus did. Get alone with God. I know that's simple. Maybe too simple. But I'm just telling you, this is, I believe this is incredibly profound in exactly what Jesus did. When he would feel lonely, he'd go to the lonely place to get along with God. God wants you to take your lonely times and make them a long time with him. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, I'm just going to tell you all, there wasn't a crowd very often in the wilderness. You all know that, don't you? Y'all got some wilderness. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all got some places where they ain't, you just ain't going to get a crowd. It's just not, it's just, and you, it's a lonely place. It could be at work. There could be people all around you. But certain things and certain days, just like we talked about this time of the year, certain things trigger loneliness in us. And when that's triggered, there is the reality that our feelings can dictate our response. And you know what we ought to do? You ought to get along with God. Figure out a way to carve out time to say, Lord, I know I'm not alone. I know you're with me. I know you have not failed me. I know you win every battle. Every battle, every battle. It's what Jesus did. He often drew the lonely place in order to have a long time with the Father. He took lonely places and made them places of prayer. The place of prayer, so I'm going to talk to you just a second about prayer. The place of prayer is a place of refilling, of, of communion with the Father. I mean, the place of prayer is so important to you. It's so important to you. Now, I'm not going to get, I, 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 I'm not going to get, what would be the word? I don't want to, I don't want to use a word that would make you uncomfortable. I'm not going to be overzealous in my thought process about what alone time with God is. And by saying, look, you ought to be getting up at four o'clock and spending 30 minutes in your closet. I'm not against that. If you can do that, that's awesome. But if, like most of us, we have to get up at 5 or 5.30, some early, early time to just get ready and prepare for the day and get going. And so I think you should try to find time, but if you can't, carve it out. Do it on the drive. Do it at some point. Get his word. Get input. Spend time in prayer. Think, process. Lay your day out before him. Listen to him. Carve out the time to be alone. The place of prayer is a place of refilling and communion with the Father. When, when, when is the best time for us to be, so, so I'm going to give you this example and I, I'm going to close. When's the best time for us to be living healthy? Is it before heart attack or after one? It's before. 
I know some of y'all don't believe that, but it's before. No, no, I'm kidding. You all believe that. You know that. It's to practice a lifestyle of preventative action in relationship to exercise and diet. Eat healthy. Take care of yourself physically. Walk. Don't run. That's just my advice. <laughs> Get regular checkups. Do what the doctor tells you to do in relationship to living healthy. But most of us don't do that until the trauma hits. We wait until we get the bad report. We wait until the bad news comes. We wait until we're, 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 you know, we're, we're struggling physically. And we have to change our diet and exercise. My dad, my dad had to experience a heart attack to get to where that he would lose his weight, go through all the practice and stuff that he did to get to where that we had him another 15 years. I, I don't want to do that. I want to cut back now. I want to exercise. I want to, I want to do some stuff now physically so that I can live longer. I want to outlive Debbie by one day. That's all. I don't want to leave her alone, but I sure don't. I don't want to live much past her. So I'm trying to plan this thing really well. And that's the principle of this point right here. Y'all think about this. You need to often withdraw to a lonely place for a time of prayer. It's, it's, it's preventative medicine to the loneliness that you, you'll face. Because we'll all face loneliness. I, I confess, as I stand here, I was quickened about something that I do believe that I felt and experienced some loneliness at retirement. So I, I, I had been with these same people for 27 years. We had gone. We, we were there in their lives throughout. And we worked so hard in that last three months to sort of sort of shape everything, get it all where it needed to be, and then, boom, jump back and take our hands off of it. And we, we did a pretty good job of that. And, I, and I, it, it was, there were moments where I do think I felt that loneliness because I didn't have a, people to care for, people to minister to, uh, and, and David didn't have a place to sing. And so we, you know, which she loved, she's 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 way better at managing relationships than she is at, is at singing, and that says a whole bunch. She's really good at singing, but she, we both, I think, felt some loneliness, felt in our own selves, and so I say that to say I I, I want to correct that, but I want you to understand the, the key for us was to make sure that we worked at rearranging and be going through the transformation that God had for us to become active people in pursuit of God without the responsibility of the church. And so we worked on that. We did that. We got involved in a church. We started going regularly. We committed to some ministry that they needed. Then all of a sudden this opened up. So we're now here, you know, at least through the end of December until Brother Jerry's ready to fill the pulpit here in the next week. Um, so I speak that over you in the name of Jesus. It's time. The key to this passage is Jesus didn't wait till the disciples abandoned him and everyone around him turned their backs on him. He didn't wait till the trauma to go get a strong relationship with the Father. He had it. He kept it. John 16, 32 and 33. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. It's Jesus' words, not mine. This is what he said to his disciples. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. 
I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, take heart. Because I have overcome the world. He, he is with us. He had a confidence that when it all came down, the Father would be there. And even though he knew that there was going to be this separation, this sense of abandonment, this loneliness that would set in on, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He knew that he was being obedient. What kind of confidence you got? How confident are you tonight? How confident are you tonight that you are not alone? So that's what this whole thing's about. Tonight is about me saying to you, you are not alone. You may be lonely. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. And your ministry, when you walk out the doors tonight and you encounter people tomorrow, that you see, that you know, man, they're low. You, you know you can, you can see loneliness, right? Y'all know people. I don't know people that attended this church maybe and hadn't been in a while. When you see them, oh, you see it. They're lonely. It is to say in love and in truth, you're not alone. You're not alone. I know you feel lonely, but you're not alone. And it's to speak peace of mind and heart into them. That's our ministry. That's what Jesus said we would do through the power of the Holy Spirit. We would peace, speak peace of mind and heart. Man, how about that? How, how would you all like to go out this week and every day encounter at least one person that when you got through speaking to them, you saw their countenance change? I mean, that's, that's the anointing of God's presence and His Spirit upon your life. That is Him in you flowing through you. That's what He wants to do. And guess what? As that happens, man, oh, loneliness will fly out the window off you too. <laughs> That's right, because you'll learn every time that you practice speaking peace of mind and heart into people and you watch the transformation happen in them and you watch them walk away with a sense of assurance and a confidence God is with them as you pray for them and you encourage them. You're reminded He is with you. He is in you. And that's something we need to remind ourselves of every day. How awesome to think that I can wake up and talk to the creator of the universe. I can love on him and he'll love on me. He's already shown that to me and expressed it to me. Father, we welcome you in the power of the Holy Spirit to invade our lives with the peace of mind and heart that Jesus spoke to his disciples about. We welcome you as in John 14, he declared to his disciples, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. I am going the path I'm going in obedience to the Father so that you will have peace of mind and heart. Not a peace that the world can give. The world doesn't understand it. 
They can't even acknowledge it. They can't see it. They don't, they don't know it. But you do because I'm with you. And more so, as I go and the Father sends the gift of the Comforter, he will be in you. Holy Spirit, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for guidance that you give us. Thank you for the peace of God that you establish in us. Thank you that when we feel lonely, you're drawing us, you're drawing us to be alone with the Father. You're, you're wooing us into a place to be alone with the Father. Thank you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Won't you stand with me? So I know I'm, i tell you another one of my issues, and I'm not even going to preach this. I could just stand in God's presence hours, literally. I feel him so, I feel his presence so real from the beginning of the worship. Even in service this morning, just such a special presence in this place. And so one of my issues is I sometimes forget about time. I forget about people. I just, and Debbie helps me. She, she helps me. Hey, David, stay on, stay on track. But tonight, I'm just telling you. I could stand right here for I don't know how long. And all that is, I want to say this to you, all that is is the presence of God trying to saturate parts of you. When you feel that, you need to get in his presence and stay there and let him saturate those places in you. Let him, you need to soak him up. I don't know when that is for you. I don't know where it'll be for you. It could be. It could be driving, it could be sitting in your office, it could be at your home, you may have a prayer closet, wherever it is. I got a little office, I sat in a little desk in one of our rooms, and I was sitting in there last night just soaking up his presence, just thinking about today, praying over it, just sort of got caught up in the fact that he is in me. Holy Spirit lives in me. Is that not awesome? Have you thought about that today? That the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, has not only come to be with us, but he is in us. The Father, upon Jesus' resurrection and ascension, sent the Holy Spirit in his power and his presence resides in us. Just, let's make this, let's all just make it an altar right now. I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. In your own way, I want you to just welcome the Holy Spirit. I want you to just welcome him into your life, into your circumstances. If there's feelings in you that you're having issues with, it would be okay for you to say to him right now, Lord, I surrender this. 
loneliness. I surrender this selfishness. I surrender this to you. Holy Spirit, take this part of me. Soak my life in this area. If it's a relationship, just lay it out before him right now. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Oh, God. 